This is the last conversation with a guest for our household waste deep dive before we give an overview summary of what we learned next week. So in this episode, we sit down with Jeff Payne, co-owner of Break It Down, the most comprehensive recycling and composting service here in Austin, Texas. Did you know that food is the largest single source of waste in the U.S. and more food ends up in landfills than plastic or paper? Listen to learn about ways to help minimize your impact while also improving the health of your houseplants or garden. So this is actually our second time recording with Jeff. He had the dubious honor of being our very first attempt at a podcast. And while there were some real nuggets in there, we pretty much got drunk and rambled for about three hours, I think. (laughs) For the sake of our listeners, we figured we'd tighten it up and Jeff has graciously agreed to come on the show again. So this is part of our household waste deep dive and we're getting down to the dirtiest, but I think most beautiful household waste stream, food. Jeff is the co-owner of Break It Down, the most comprehensive recycling and composting service here in our city, Austin, Texas. And we share a common education, chemical engineering. Would you consider your work very scientific at this point or? Not, not really, but I, I've kind of lost track of what science is anymore. <laughs> so. <laughs> From my perspective, it seems scientific. There's a lot of scientific knowledge, I suppose, within sure. your job. I guess it's, it's all applied now, you know? I don't right. sit down and run a calculator very often, but. <laughs> <laughs> so what motivated you to start Break It Down? Well, I think curiosity as much as anything. I was at UT in chemical engineering. That program was not moving forward very well for me at all. And I was interested in what was going on with agriculture a lot, uh, especially around the Austin area. And I was uh, volunteering at a local farm, and then my wife was working for a yoga studio, and they'd switched to a compostable cup, and they were just throwing them all away. And people said, well, at least it breaks down in the landfill, uh, which is not really what you want at all. And so it made no sense to be using these compostable cups. So we said, hey, let's figure out what their options are. And we looked around and there really was no option. So that would have been in 2008. And we kicked it around for about a year or so and then kind of said, well, let's just do a pilot. Let's just see what happens. So we start out with that yoga studio and progress coffee, picking up once a week, making a pile of basically coffee grounds and yoga cups in a friend's backyard. (laughs) And 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 so those first ones were straight pile composting, mixing with some brown matter and organic matter or? Yeah, I would go out and just pick up leaves, you know, that people put out in the big Home Depot bags out on the curb. I would just go yank them and take them over to my friends and make a big old pile. And it it was nothing special or nothing amazing about the actual composting in the backyard per se. It's just just a pile, but it did its job. And then we added on a third account that had a lot of vegetables. That was like a good pairing for the other two. And then a couple of those accounts wanted recycling, and I figured, well, I can haul recycling just as well as I can haul food waste. Mm -hmm. So there was just kind of no discernible stopping point. You know, the experiment became a bigger experiment, became a bigger experiment to where I just kind of made the leap and left school and and went full time. What's the kind of breakdown for each type of customers and what types of customers do you have? Well, 
It's a little messy right now as to whether who and what to call a customer, given that some of them are still shuttered from uh, COVID. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I think right now we have about 700 total customers in the greater Austin area. And I would bet that maybe four to 500 of them are restaurants. And then there's a smattering of schools, hotels, hospitals, uh, a bunch of offices. And those are the ones that are still primarily, uh, many of them are closed. It could be anyone with a food permit, ultimately. If you're generating food waste and it's in your waste stream, we could be a a useful service for diverting that. Cool. Very cool. So mostly restaurants. That's the majority of the customer base. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Ranging from small ones to to medium to large across the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. And we learned on the last podcast that it was phase two of some Texas regulation, which now we're going to forget the the name of it, that said first was diversion of recyclables and then phase two was diversion of organic matter for Texas businesses who do have a food permit. What's the, call it adherence to that regulation at this point? Oh, oh, how many people have adhered to the ordinance? Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, that's a great question. So there's about 4,500 food permitted businesses in Austin. And the last time I got a list of businesses that were not compliant. Ooh, you're stretching my memory a little bit here today. (laughs) I want to say there might be about 30% haven't complied. Okay. Give or take. Now, of the ones that have, there is a, a, a range of what they're doing to comply as well, though. So... Composting is often the simplest and easiest option for a business. Right. But for those that don't want to, there are other options as well. And um, Why would someone not want to? I don't understand that part. I heard that before. <laughs> I think it would typically be cost oh, is okay. what I would expect. They gotcha. would just want to not have to pay anything. And what are the alternatives then that they would do? Well, the city made a bunch available, and I have no real way of knowing who's taken the city up on some of these other options, but some of them are, in my opinion, a little far-fetched, like changing your menus to to reduce waste. Mm. So if there's maybe something that you're throwing a lot out of, and then you rewrite your menu to, I don't know, potato skins and make a dish from the potato skins you were throwing away or something mm-hmm. like that. Gotcha. Kind of mm-hmm. random. The one I run into the most, although still really just a handful, would be food recovery. I think food recovery in general is a fantastic option, but uh, some places, whether you can say they're taking advantage of it or not is up to your perspective, but uh, some have kind of a token food recovery program, and that's enough to satisfy the ordinance. And so. is that giving the leftover food to the less fortunate or what exactly? Yeah, to to food pantries typically. So Mm -hmm. we're not normally going to go direct to people that are uh, in need of food, but different food pantries or nonprofits that can then redistribute that. But literally, you could satisfy the ordinance by donating 10 pounds a month. Oh, wow. While you are literally shipping maybe one to 2,000 pounds a week to the landfill of, mm. of food waste. Yeah, 10 so pounds it, seems minimal for a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> easy waste. to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it maybe there's some cynicism there, or maybe it's just how it is. Yeah. If you want to take the other positive perspective on it, you could say, you know, the ones that really don't want to compost, let's give them an option to not have to really compost for now. And 
But, the, I, I, but then we get back to what is really don't want to, like, what's the motivation behind it? And that's just cost, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's cost. the only. But what happens if you compost when you don't really want to is you end up doing a really poor job and you have a lot of contamination and then that gets thrown away. Right. So I think our service more than most actually handles contamination really well. Um, but it's certainly a non-trivial issue. And if there's a whole bunch of junk going in there, it's not to anyone's benefit. Mm -hmm. right. So some people only know the term organic as the more expensive food in the grocery store to purchase. Can you explain what organic matter is and how it's different from other things that we throw away? Sure, you know, and that's, that's a fun word because I've run into it myself just trying to talk to people about what can go in the bin or not where yeah. there was some inadvertent confusion around, oh, only organic food. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mason <laughs> told me that for a little while on our food cycler and it confused me because I was like, wait, so I can't put this in it. I can't put that in it. <laughs> no processed foods. Yeah. 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 No, uh, no hot pot pies. <laughs> <laughs> but organic in this sense is really just anything uh, with carbon molecules, a anything that from an organic chemistry perspective will break down. So not the organic quality certified. It could, could be anything else. I feel like anything that used to be alive was one kind of shortcut. Is that, are there other carbon? <sighs> well, I think that's probably still true, but we're definitely pushing that envelope with, <laughs> with like all of the different compostable serviceware. Uh, so there's, you know, the PLA bags and cups and ramekins. A PLA is polylactic acid, and that's maybe a technical term for the corn cups. But they're so highly processed at this point that you're certainly not going to recognize it as, as having been alive. Yeah. Uh, similarly with like the starch uh, utensils, compostable bags themselves these days, I don't know what is in them. They are, <laughs> when, the, when we first started our company 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't recommend them to anyone because they ripped too easily. And mm. now they're so durable that they're actually harder to break down, but mm. they work super well. So yeah. it makes you wonder what sort of plastic, plasticized, plasticized, I can never say this word. <laughs> plasticized, is that what? Plasticized. Plasticized, yeah. There we go, we all got Plas it. Plasticizers. <laughs> so organic, can't recognize it anymore as just anything that used to be alive, but it's anything with carbon in it. And we learned that it's the largest component of landfills is organic matter. Is that I, I think so. And I, I always get a little confused about how that all works as far as the exact numbers. But I think it is the highest by weight, not volume. Oh, by weight. Yeah. It's just And I think this comes back to just how dense it is. Yeah. So um, you always have to be careful with all these statistics. Yeah because there's both and they go they go back and forth yeah and it seems like in a landfill volume would be more important than weight good I, question I, I don't know because you're also luck. i mean they've got those big machines that are just trampling everything all day long so um, even if something comes less. in and it's pretty lightweight it's going to be smashed really solidly and where did also the organic matter is what produces the methane that comes out of them right yeah. right and so that's kind of the primary thing to keep out in the sense that landfills are designed to kind of entomb everything and to mm -hmm. keep everything dry and static for as long as possible. 
the food waste is kind of working against that process. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to keep it out. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, a, it's to some degree, it's a question of just finding a way to unlock as much value from the food waste as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still a lot more work that can be done in that area that if we can create more value from the food waste than what we're getting right now, that will help to incentivize keeping it out of the landfill in the first place. Right. And what do you guys do with a lot of the food waste that you guys bring into your facilities? So right now we're doing fairly standard windrow composting. Explain what that is. So that would be making a large, long pile. You can imagine a pile of food waste mixed with mulch that is maybe 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide and 150 feet long. Uh, And so we're making multiple windrows like that where they're turned on a regular, maybe monthly basis, something like that, to reintroduce oxygen to the pile to keep everything moist so that the bacteria will just keep kind of chewing away at everything and breaking it all down. Uh, It's a pretty standard way for composting uh, businesses and the industry to handle the food waste. I think it's it's kind of dirty, it's messy, it's a it's quite a bit of work. It takes an incredible amount of capital expenditure if you want to make a good finished product and you end up selling that finished product for a pretty low value relatively. I think it could use a a paradigm shift, frankly. <laughs> I'm still in search for what that is. <laughs> well, you've got a new method. Yeah, so the the newest method and I can't wait to show you the buckets at some point here, but We've been messing around with dehydration. There's a company in Austin here called Hungry Giant, and they make industrial dehydrators. And if you stick food waste in these things for uh, sometimes only an eight-hour cycle uh, at maybe 165, 170, it'll pull out 75% of the weight as water. And the end product that you get is really quite stable and non-odorous. Uh, I've tried taking that end product and just immediately adding water to it and letting it sit and trying to make it gross and nasty again, and I can't I can't do it. Because really? you missed it. Yeah. You missed the grossness of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I want to see. Like, if I was going to stick this in my garden, is yeah. it just going to turn back into a bunch of rotting food waste? Mm-hmm. But whatever's going on is definitely more than just dehydration. There's some uh, degree of chemical conversion going on that results in it being more stable. So I'm really excited. We sent a bunch of samples off to a soil testing lab. I want to, I'm very curious to see what we get back from them. Yeah, that's fascinating. So do y'all categorize different components of organic matter? Because it used to be, if you had a backyard composter, you couldn't put citrus in it, you couldn't put meat in it really, or is that, it seems like everything now just gets thrown in. I mean, industrial composter, I guess everything is thrown in. Right. And that can be some confusion sometimes. People that know an awful lot about backyard composting sometimes will misunderstand what can be composted at an industrial scale. Because it's true, you don't want to throw meat or large quantities of citrus necessarily into a small pile in your backyard. It's going to putrefy or become too acidic or the rinds aren't going to break down or, or what have you. At the industrial scale, there's a lot more tolerance for that because... Again, you're imagining these piles that are, you know, literally 500 cubic yards or like how many different buses put together. It's like a blue whale laying there. (laughs) And so you could pretty much put anything. Whole bone can go in. 
Now that's where some of the machinery is still helpful to break and process all this down. But even at the sort of non-technical way we've been playing with it right now, I took a bunch of the finished product home to my house, and yeah, there were a bunch of bones in it, and you could reach down, you could grab it, and just crush it in your hand. Oh, it was, wow. It was very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> so the that bone, bone has been really processed. Yeah. I got a tour a long time ago from TDS, and they talked about, with kind of a, a wink and a smile, it was like, we get all of the roadkill from the Department of Transportation, and so he said, you get plenty of deer in there. And in two days, that deer is gone. There's no trace that it was ever there. <laughs> so if you ever want to get rid of a body, throw it in a oh my gosh. <laughs> industrial compost pile. I always wondered what happened to, you know, we're in Texas, right? So there's a lot of roadkill on the road or, you know, people hit deer. I always wondered what happened yeah, to the Yeah, go to the compost the pile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then end up in um, Dillo Dirt. <laughs> Dillo Dirt. <laughs> yeah, you can buy it at garden stores. That's the Austin Municipal Waste run through, I believe, TDS. And so it's uh, approved for home use compost. Oh, cool. Uh, made from our poop. A slight correction, it's not TDS that does it, actually. It's okay. the city's facility over at Hornsby Bend. Oh, yeah? Although you might be able to correct me if that's changed. Mm, um, my info's pretty Horn old. Hornsby Bend did have a fire at their compost facility something like five years ago. So I don't know if that's changed how they do things or not. Yeah, the city was handling everything internally to make that. In. So very important if you have any bodies that you need to get rid of. Yeah. Industrial compost piles. Yeah. There you go. Better than a pig farm. <laughs> so we learned that the average U.S. household wastes 32% of its food, and that equates to about like $2,000 per year. Do you have any steps for anybody who wants to start at-home composting? Hmm. Well, you know, the first thing I would say to someone who wants to start at-home composting is there's no wrong way to do it. Ah, because I think a lot wonderful. of people will start... Oh, which is what's better, you know, and there's so many different options. There's so many bins on the market. If aesthetics weren't a consideration or if there were no considerations, you could literally just throw it in a pile and ignore it. In your backyard. In, in your backyard. And it'll just do whatever. Now, you're, you might have rats and rodents and bugs and all <laughs> kinds of problems if you're just literally ignoring it. And so then, of course, there's all the questions that now come in. What? What are your primary concerns? How much does aesthetics matter? How much does having a quality finished end product matter? How much material are you even going to have to go into the spin in the first place? And that could depend on your diet and how much you eat out versus eat in, etc. So uh, there's a fa fair number of different questions you can ask yourself as, when trying to figure out what type of bin. But at the end of the day, there's no wrong way to do it. Food is going to break down uh, and you can't stop it from breaking down. And so it's just a question of, do you have access to some carbon you can throw with it? Mm -hmm. If you do, then you've got all kinds of different options for different sorts of bins you can put it in or that you can make yourself or what have you. If you have no carbon really available, you might want to- So wanna... explain that, like why is it better to mix food with leaf cuttings or leaves or well the i guess you know the simplest answer is to say that you need to have a, a degree of a recipe to make a finished compost that works and that recipe requires some carbon it requires some nitrogen it requires various other micronutrients if you were just throwing food in you're gonna have a lot more nitrogen available than carbon and that nitrogen is gonna need somewhere to go 
and there's not going to be enough carbon for it to bond with. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you're going to end up getting uh, various odors from the nitrogen, or you're just going to attract a whole bunch of bugs or rodents or otherwise. You know, life finds a way to use that nitrogen, and it's going to take advantage of that energy potential and grab it and and do things you might not want it to do on your property. <laughs> so conversely, if you just have a leaf pile, that will break down into compost and ultimately fairly nice soil will result there, but it's gonna take an eternity because mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of energy in that mixed in with those leaves to kind of speed it up. And that's what the nitrogen effectively does. Gotcha. So having a nice mix kind of encourages the biology without over or under encouraging it. Gotcha. And so if someone doesn't have a ton of leaves at one point, just has a few, and then other times it has more, uh, you're basically saying that's still cool. It'll just, it just yeah. changes how, it, how long it takes and mm -hmm. whether, how much it smells. For sure, yeah. And I think the other thing I would add for someone looking at composting would be to not go into it with this expectation that you're gonna be making tons of high quality finished compost. Right. Because I think you'll, you'll set yourself up for some discouragement there. I think backyard composting, unless you're importing a lot of extra material, backyard composting is really more about waste reduction and diversion than it is about you know, compost production in and of itself. Right. Which, considering organic matter is a, the top waste stream into landfills, it seems like extremely important. And so I think everybody should try to figure something out. Right. Even if they don't have a backyard garden or indoor plants to feed that soil to. Is that the right word? Soil? <laughs> soil amendment. <laughs> even if you don't have anywhere to put the compost that you're making as long as you're, you know, reducing the waste in your household is mm -hmm. first step. But you probably do. I mean, if you have a yard at all, then you have somewhere to put it. But I guess yeah. you have to in an apartment. Yeah, the apartments would be the challenge right. for sure. And there are options around that where as far as taking it to a farmer's market or figuring out some sort of way to do it. Break It Down works with some multifamily situations where we have bins for the whole complex. My last condo, you, we did that. We got a... At Akoya, we got to break it down, Ben. For We're still there. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, that's been going for. Yeah, that's a solid. Uh, that's got to be. That's got to be one of our older accounts at this point, really. Very cool. Yeah. I think um, me and one other person used it <laughs> <laughs> while I was there. You know, the last time I was there was probably a year ago, and it was definitely still being used. Nice. You know, it definitely had like the 10 or 15 gallons of material going in. That's awesome. My best legacy so far in, in As being real estate. That, <laughs> in real estate or being the HOA president? Which legacy? <laughs> yeah, one or the other. Probably HOA president. You know, one of the things I would add about home composting, multifamily aside, which has some of its own challenges, is that, um, and I hate to say this in some ways, because I know there's just, it's all these environmental issues can be so complicated and challenging, but I really think it is fairly low-hanging fruit from the standpoint that you're not moving any more waste out of your household. Like your amount, your total amount of waste is already like set mm -hmm. and you're emptying the trash every other day, every day, every third day, it, it might kind of depend, but you're emptying the trash on a regular basis and moving it outside. And so switching to a system uh, of composting, you're still moving the same amount of material. So what you are changing a habit, and obviously there's a barrier involved there, but there's not actually any extra work. And in fact, you could even argue that it's less work because you're not ending up with a super dirty trash can. So 
if you do a really good job composting and you don't maybe have some nasty stuff going into your trash can that like, I don't know, chicken wrappers or stuff like that that will smell, you could go upwards of a week sometimes without changing, taking your trash out. Just because it's just, you know, clean, dry plastic, basically. That's a really cool um, perspective. Yeah. Cleaner, one less chore. Same work, less smell. You just take it, you're just carrying a little bucket out of your house <laughs> right. every right. day. On a more regular basis. Yeah. yeah. But you're not doing any more actual work. So it's encouraging to think of it that way as much as it is still daunting to consider the idea of, quote, what would it take to get mm-hmm. everyone composting in the world? I have a, a bit of a strange question. We're on actually on septic here. And so we have to be really careful not to do bacon grease down our drains. And so what I do is I just take it out in the backyard, kind of towards the back corner, and I literally just pour the bacon grease out on the ground. What eats that? How does it disappear? Because it disappears. Is it vermin that comes around and licks it up? I mean, don't we have coyotes out here as well? I don't think so. We got a couple of foxes down foxes. the street. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly that grease is going to- It's always to, good to stump it, a guest. It, it's going to break down. At our house, I consume lard. <laughs> we well, use bacon grease to cook everything. Uh, so we just don't use it enough because I read that after cooked the bacon at medium heat or higher after a couple days, that oil is pretty rancid. Hmm. <laughs> I haven't. I don't know. I haven't run into that, and I've had it sit for a little while to where I'd wonder how long. What's um, the longest you've let the bacon grease sit and then eat it? Because I'm going to use that as my new bar. Without throwing up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would say probably weeks sometimes. Usually, right now, we actually don't have much spare. Maybe because we're just not making. So we're just using it as we produce it. And it's fairly uh, stable. Every once in a while, we'll go through, I don't know, it must be a major bacon eating (laughs) surge. And we'll end up with like two mugs full of bacon grease. And one of them sits there for a little while before we catch up. So we're going to do a clean eating deep dive coming up soon after the waste deep dive. And I'm going to start a campaign trying to include bacon as a vegetable. Mm, Alternative facts. That would help. I'll let people try to disprove it and then I'll delete their emails. Bacon (laughs) can be a vegetable. Yeah, we'll see what all of the vegetarians and vegans have to say about that. (laughs) You could also store the lard in your fridge. If that's you're true. Going rants. That's I mean, what my mom used about to do. That's the problem. I forget about it yeah. if I put it in the fridge, yeah. which we do occasionally. But that's good to know because I think I'm probably a bit too squeamish about older food and eating it. But I also think I have a more sensitive stomach than the rest of the household. And <laughs> I'll feel it. I'll get some cramps when other people don't. Well, and I am on the other end of that spectrum. So nice. to be fair, it's a little more of an iron gut over here. <laughs> iron stomach and a kung fu master. You're not, a renaissance not really gentleman. A kung fu master, no, but having fun with that. <laughs> what well, stage you, are you at at this yeah. point? Or level? I just belt. tested and belt. got my black belt. Uh, wow. I would call that a Kung Fu week. Master. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty fun. That's incredible. Yeah. I guess for you, Master means something else. Yeah, Master like the, would be like the, the eighth degree gotcha. black belt master at the dojo. Gotcha. They describe black belt as a good beginning. Really? That's intense. <laughs> well, cool. We wouldn't want to disrespect or discredit any of the eighth degree black belts out there. You're all wonderful people. <laughs> and you're welcome over at the apocalypse. So I have a question about if people compost at home, but there's also services 
because you guys aren't residential. Break It Down doesn't go to residences, right? They go to businesses and apartment complexes and such. Does Austin have one? I know our street, we're not able to get one. So can people opt in to whatever their waste management services in Austin or even, you know, beyond Austin generally? Well, I think your street is special, and I don't know the exact details, but uh, in general, anyone within the city of Austin qualifies for the composting carts. And so everyone with the regular service is going to get a weekly pickup of the green cart. And isn't that it gets complicated with apartments as well? Um, So apartment complexes, and I always forget if it's four or fewer or four or more, but the break off is right about there where if it's let's call it four or fewer units, you qualify for the city service, and yes, you will have a green cart for your multifamily. If it's five or more, or maybe four or more, then you are on uh, private hauling. You are not a part of the city service, and it would come down to who the, um, the contractor is. Mm. Typically, those are trash and recycling services. Break it down, complements that with a composting service for those units. Gotcha. So if you're in an apartment and there is not a compost service currently being provided, get your apartment to call Break It Down. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful. To go back, so people can either compost at home with their backyard, just put it in their backyard. There's kits that they can have. There's food cyclers and other machinery they can put on their counters. And But beyond that, they could just go through their trash or recycling services, and then they have a bin, and all they have to do is put the pile of food or pile of scraps in that bin, and somebody will pick it up. So those are the options. Because mm. I have just started this eco journey, so I know that my prior home, I didn't even consider going to those services to get a compost bin. And I feel like there's a lot of people who haven't considered that. Well, the green carts, in essence, aren't even an option. They've been delivered to every house, whether people wanted them or not. Mm. And so what you'll actually see in the city of Austin is that most people aren't using them, but they all have them on site. So for instance, in my uh, neighborhood, you might see one in five to one in 10 carts, that are the green carts being put out on trash day. Uh, it's, it's pretty low. And most of it is uh, yard trimming type material that's going in there. And so it's not opt-in. Um, they deliver those. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's quote, free. And what they've done is just slowly increased everyone's trash bill to uh, pay for it. So you're already paying for it. You may as well put the compost in that green card. They've tried to incentivize this also by encouraging people to switching to a smaller trash can. Mm-hmm. They can pay less. So I think the smallest trash cart in the city of Austin, it might be a 32-gallon could be a 24, I don't remember, but it's fairly small. So if you see someone with a 100-gallon trash can, they're paying more, as it should be, than someone with, say, a 30-gallon trash can. So they've tried to incentivize diversion by staggering that. And if you are filling up your blue recycle cart in the city of Austin, you can also get a second one for free if you were so inclined. Uh, again, they're trying to incentivize diversion from, from the landfill. Mm-hmm. And what good. about outside of Austin? How many municipalities across the U.S., if you have any clue, offer composting? Oh, I don't know that off the top of my head, but it's it's small. You could probably name 90% 
on on two two hands you know you've got wow. the bay area you've got minneapolis new york probably yeah new york probably seattle although to be fair probably there are probably a fair number of smaller municipalities say along the west coast and east coast that have city services although i'm also aware of some private businesses on the east coast that do residential and are have been fairly successful at it and that suggests to me that a lot of those cities are not offering it break it down used to offer uh residential household composting we did it as mostly a way to learn because we knew the city was going to take it over and kick us out of that uh, market ultimately uh so we just thought we'd do it for a little while because people are asking we can make a little bit of money but more importantly we can kind of learn what it's like to work with residents on a, on a residential basis that's why we did that there you know there are no other municipalities in texas that are doing mm. curbside composting that i'm aware of not pflugerville or round rock or any of the outlying towns here or anywhere else in the state for that matter mm. but you can always get a kid you can always throw it in the backyard and the one that we currently have is called food cycler which is a dehydrator and, but all it does is dehydrate it. I just saw a new one called Lomi that's coming out that actually creates usable compost with some 20 hour cycle with no additives. It just grinds and heats and measures the moisture and oxygen. And so just airflow and, and grinding, it creates actual compost. And it seems like that's a pretty good feat for a countertop system. It also has a good aesthetic to it. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty, and I like that because I hate how much stuff easily gets on counter space, but that that's pretty enough to keep it there. We should give that to people for Christmas presents too. Yeah, that would be cool to see. I don't think I've seen that one, so you ought to it's show brand me. brand new. Yeah, they haven't yeah. even started shipping yet. So Austin collects all this compost. Where does that compost go? So the, all the curbside yard trimmings and the food waste goes out to Organics by Gosh, which is a, a compost facility out east of town. So it's, they got the contract for the whole city. Yeah, they have the contract for the whole city. The city does the pickup and haul and then they take it out there and pay a tipping fee. It's mostly yard trimmings. I don't, it'd be interesting to know what percent it is. You could be critical of the city service by saying we have spent an incredible amount of money on carts and we're spending an incredible amount of money running garbage trucks down every street in Austin to only pick up one in 10. You know, if you look at the cost to pick up each house and as far as how they factored this in with raising rates, et cetera, it was somewhere around like $5 a household, which is pretty bad if it's only one in 10 carts. Now you're really actually talking, it's like 50 bucks to go pick up that cart. Mm -hmm. And sorry, this is a monthly basis, not a per pickup basis. Gotcha. $50 a month for a residential house is astronomical. <laughs> so there's room to be critical of the city from that standpoint that this is a very expensive, efficient program right now and then there's room to be positive about it in that well you need to start somewhere mm -hmm. build how it, else are you supposed to encourage uh, ad adoption of this right i think that the city also does to be fair suffer a little bit in participation simply because for the longest time it spent a lot of effort encouraging people to do backyard composting and they had rebates so, for that, which the rebate program they just still ended. Do. It just ended. Or did they? Okay. So September 2021. I always thought that was interesting that they were giving out rebates to encourage people to not use the service they're spending money to provide to the same household. <laughs> yeah. It must be, that must be why it ended. <laughs> To be fair, again, though, if you get right down to it, backyard composting makes more sense. We're not running a diesel truck down small streets all day long. It's pretty simple. So 
Very true. And with that rebate, you just take a picture of your backyard scraps, send it in. Like, how do you prove that? I think it's a receipt for the composter you bought. Yeah, you can't oh. do a DIY system. You have to buy gotcha. uh, an actual. Not like I was looking to get out of it or anything. But <laughs> I mean, we like this Lomi system yeah. actually creating because of our dehydrator, when you throw it out in the back, sometimes I go back there and it is, it's growing mold and there's ants like carrying pieces off. So it's not mm-hmm. really integrating into, into the lawn. Well, the ants are going to integrate it into your lawn. Yeah, but they're leaf cutter ants, and I don't need to encourage them to do anything because they destroy all of my favorite plants. Especially the rose bush out in the front. They like the petals there. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that we haven't seen each other for a couple months or more since our last outtake. And we come back, and you all are talking about dehydration for your kitchen scraps, and I'm talking about dehydration for 10 tons a day of food waste that my company's hauling. I think so, that's fascinating um, that you came in talking about this thing that I, yeah. the whole time I've been like, is this really good or I don't know. And <laughs> I'm super piqued by it and I, I didn't notice it for the longest time. And then um, Hungry Giant reached out and we started talking and we still didn't weren't thinking about Break It Down for it. Uh-huh. And then somewhere in there, something clicked and I'm, I'm very piqued by it. And I'm trying not to get too excited too quickly by the potential ramifications of how awesome it could be very Um, very cool and so i it sounds like this has overtaken because over the years we've talked several times about black soldier fly (sighs) composting being the answer to our organic waste problems has it overtaken it has for now wow can you explain that for Tell us a little bit about and that. for the listeners. Yeah. Black soldier flies are an amazing species of fly that the adult fly might live for a few weeks. It has a mouth, but it really just drinks a little bit water, mates, and, and lays eggs. Uh, it's not a vector for disease. It's not interested in food. It doesn't bite or sting. Uh, it's very benign. Uh, it looks like a large black wasp almost and if you ever see one it's usually just sitting somewhere perched innocuous out of the way what a life Uh, yeah (laughs) the the larva is a voracious eater and it eats for the entire life cycle starts out uh, nearly microscopic and it grows to be the size of maybe one pinky digit of your finger it does this over the course of maybe two weeks Something like that is very fast, and it loves eating food waste, and it'll outcompete all your other standard types of flies. So the idea with black soldier fly composting is that you don't introduce any carbon. You just have nitrogen food waste going into this bin where you essentially have a self-running colony of black soldier flies that are mating, laying eggs around the edge of the bin. The larvae grow up. They crawl off. And you can harvest those and feed them to chickens. You could grind them down into a, a grub meal, so to speak, and you could feed that to other um, livestock. Fish primarily would be a big one, but you could also do it for pigs or cattle. Or um, weightlifters. Or weightlifters. I have eaten a black soldier <laughs> fly. You can, you, have. you can dehydrate the whole darn thing down and just yeah. put it in like a bag like popcorn. High protein. Uh, yeah. All these guys popping way. <laughs> They should just be eating some grubs. That's true. And so how do you get your hands on these? Like, can you purchase them? How do you acquire these for you, your... You, I think you could. Um, but, you know, they're native to 
pretty much the subtropical all the way to the tropical region of the earth across every continent. So they're native to Texas. They aren't active right now because it is November, but they'll come back out in March or April, and then they'll be busy and active all the way until September. Do you know their mating call? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Still working on that. We'll Haven't attracted that, we'll any yet. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll have an audio clip. We'll <laughs> well, that is the perfect note to end on. Do you have anything else that you would like the listeners to know? Or Jess, do you have any last questions? No, I don't think I have any last questions. I, I think we ended on a good note. You know, <laughs> black soldier flies are fascinating, but dehydration is interesting. Yeah. And if, you, if you're thinking about composting, just give it a try. And I think, I think a lot of people will be surprised at how, how little effort it takes. Yeah. Um, Take the plastic labels off, remove, you know, contaminants from it, but then just throw it in your backyard. Right. All of the plastic yeah. stickers off of the vegetables. Yep. Yep. I, I never bother with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I ended up with a whole lot of plastic labels around my trees. So my company before last, Greenling, we wanted to start doing our own compost. And so we did it in my backyard and we learned just how much you know matter goes into creating a finished product. I thought we were going to sell some finished product compost. And one, you know, it took weeks and weeks of throwing pretty large quantities of food on this pile just to create a few gallons of compost. And then those few gallons had uh, twisty ties from the greens and about 5,000 little plastic labels. And, um, and we put them all around the trees and everything decomposed. And we just ended up with a, a bunch of plastic labels around every tree. Ah. Decoration. Whew. Well, Jeff is so smart, and it sounds like he's a little bit jaded on things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but remains extremely principled. I forgot to ask him about this nugget, but one night at a bar, we'd had a few whiskeys, and we're talking about the meaning of life stuff. And the question came up, how do we really know that we're doing good things for the planet? In sustainability, it's honestly can be hard to tell at times. Things that reduce plastic might take a whole lot more energy to make, or things that last forever may have a ton of toxic chemicals in them. It can get really complicated really fast. Jeff has probably the most defensible reason for his work. He says that he can't imagine any world anywhere in which trying to find more valuable uses for waste than putting it in a pile to sit there forever is not a noble endeavor. And I was kind of stumped. I think he's right. I can't imagine a world where diverting waste would be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously waste is not toxic, but that's not what he's working with anyway. Jess, what was your favorite takeaway? Um, I think just the concept that there's no wrong way to do compost. I wasn't expecting that as his answer, but I loved it. I know. <laughs> I immediately felt liberated with our food waste. Yeah, so liberating. You know, sometimes there's food scraps that I know the food cycler is just not going to handle well. Like if it's too wet or too fibrous, you just can't put everything in there. And so that can be kind of frustrating. So I think we should just follow his advice and pick a corner out in our yard where we can just throw everything that we're not going to put in the food cycler and see what happens. And maybe we just throw some leaves on it to cover up any potential smells. What do you think? I love it. As much as we try to dehydrate everything, I guess we still throw in the trash. 10 to 20% of our food scraps. Let's go zero waste food. Yeah, challenge accepted. We'll see how the kids sit with that when we're putting like random things together for dinner though. <laughs> <laughs> how about your takeaways? 
I think it's really fascinating that he's investigating dehydration at an industrial scale to complement or maybe replace his current windrows. Yeah. I always feel like our food cycler is somehow second best or not as good as making real compost, but it seems like it may be a wave of the future. We're trendsetters again. It's definitely easier. Yeah. And I guess I also want to point out again that if you're looking for really impactful things you can do to affect change at home in trash, it's composting. Divert food from the trash and you'll dramatically reduce the amount of trash your house creates. For sure. And it's no extra work too, which is cool. You know, you're either taking out a lot of trash or you're taking out some trash and then some compost. Yep. Important and easy step. Next week, as you mentioned, we'll do a summary of the deep dive and what we all learned. We learned a ton and well beyond what was said during these podcasts. We wish we could have walked around with a recorder with these folks, but we'll give a rundown and what we think is important for every waste stream and hopefully more important and easy steps we all can take to make a difference and get that little dopamine hit from doing right by the planet. (laughs) And if you're in Austin and you know any food permanent operations that aren't composting their food scraps which they're required to by the city of Austin, Mm -hmm. let us know or reach out directly to Jeff at Break It Down and we can help that business get into compliance. I felt a little special again, knowing that we're in one of just a few major cities nationwide that actually require this and have residential composting municipal. Austin is a really cool spot. Yeah, that's why we live here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we also looked up the other cities and there seems to be a lot of energy around this. But what makes Austin special is curbside pickup of compost, which is fairly hard to accomplish at a municipal level. Other cities doing this include San Antonio, which is right down the road, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Denver, and Minneapolis. Now, there's a few more cities that have privately run curbside pickups, but they don't seem to be as comprehensive nor as equitable. That's right. We're special, like I said. (laughs) (laughs) So next week, at the end of the deep dive summary, we will also be giving away our first prize to the Mostly Green crew. So exciting. So go sign up soon and be automatically entered. And thanks for listening.